listening to Proof Text, a Glossa House podcast by Dr. T. Michael W. Halcom, Dr. Frederick J. Long, Dr. Mario Melendez, Dr. Jennifer Noonan, and J. M. Smith. Welcome and enjoy. Hello and welcome to Proof Text. I'm Michael Halcom and I'm here with Fred Long and we are discussing uh, the second chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. We're doing this because it's Advent, Christmas season, and um, yeah, if you're preaching through Matthew, maybe this will give you something to think about or something to share. So um, if you're watching, I'm going to put Matthew 2 up here on the screen. We're going to move quickly through this episode because we're on a little bit of a time crunch. Um, so forgive us if we're moving too fast, but um, I'm going to read the Greek. We're not really going to explain it here, but then we'll just talk about what's going on. So um, we're at verse 9. We're going to try to get through verse 12 in this episode. So it sounds this way in Greek. So, Fred, what are you seeing here that you want to draw our attention to? Yeah, so to translate this, um, I see uh, the next step in the argument or the, the narrative, the de there marks the next step. We're alternating between agents. So um, the ide is now marking the agency of the Magi. So you had um, Herod calling them in in verse 7, and then verse 8, sending them out. And then they, having heard the king, uh, went, and behold, the star, which they saw in the east. So there's the, the evidence that in the east is referring to where they saw. The, saw, the, the star which they saw in the east was leading them or be going before them in perfective aspect um, until coming, it, it stood above where the child was. Um, so there's a lot of movement going on here, a lot of going, coming, sending, going, like repeatedly sending, going. So even the star is going. Um, and so what did that look like? I think it might have been over the course of several days that as the new uh, horizon of the night sky, the, the planet and the star was progressing in a certain way. And um, it led them, it was pointing them to where the child was, uh, which is uh, Bethlehem. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, there's a popular view out there, and uh, I don't hold this view. Um, I've, Will Varner is one that has really espoused it, and I've challenged him hard on this, and I think he's 100% wrong. But he, he's been espousing this view that the Oaster, the star, um, is actually an angelic figure, mm. not a real star. And I know others hold that view too, but I don't buy that or subscribe to that for a second. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so he, yeah, he tries to promote this view that uh, in Judaism, ancient Judaism, uh, stars were often linked with angelic entities, celestial entities. But I'm not 
I'm not buying it, at least not for this story. Yeah. That's what's happening. Yeah. So I think it's a, it's an astronomical event. Uh, there's yeah. a DVD by a, a, was it a doctor who started to research this? And um, I think it's called the Star of Bethlehem DVD. I don't know if you can find it. Maybe I'll post it, the link to it. But it's intriguing. It's intriguing. And the way that he explains how it moves is fitting with with uh, what they're describing. Um, it's not like directly moving. It's over the course of the evening, the planets, you know, and are are, are changing uh, depending on which night uh and it's it's pointing towards a location and so the timing of this we we tend to read this as if it's instantaneously taking place or looking up and it's like oh it's moving now over to that way but this could be taking place over a series of of days uh for them to track where it's actually leading them so it is pointing them uh, stationary above where the child was yeah yeah the next verse, two ten says, "Y dónde es de Tonastera? Echarresan charran megalin spodra." I love this because um, uh, immediately this is th- is showing me a contrast. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes my mind right back to a yeah. few verses ago where um, Herod, where is it at? He was described as. Uh, Tarasso, there it is. Etarachte. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so you you have this acoustic sort of parallel going on, or contrast with two three etarachte, and here um, in two ten you have echarisan, and it's actually charan. Um, yeah. So I love that. They. Yeah. Yeah. This is called a cognate accusative. When you have a direct object that has the same root as the main verb, as a direct object. So they rejoiced a joy, and that joy is modified by an adjective, megalane, which makes it, you know, a great joy. And as if if that's not strong enough of an emphasis, then you have this really interesting adverb. Svodra, uh, exceedingly. <laughs> yeah. So you you really there's really a lot of stress on the joy, yeah. and that that joy comes from seeing the star, you know. So um, in their mind, there's like a, a realization of what they set out to do, right? So they came from the east. In the east, they saw the star. They saw it in the constellations, and and their reading of portents. Um, they're recognizing something significant is happening here. They go, they get caught up in this intrigue. They're being they're they're being attempted to be instrumentalized, and and yet for them it's just as matter of simply you know what is the star pointing us to, and it's and it gave them great joy to to see it, mm-hmm. and and to be at this point um, where they can simply do what they want to do is find out where where is this. Uh, child born uh, so that we can worship, we can pay homage to this king. Yeah. Well, uh, the next verse 11 is kind of lengthy in Greek. Que elthon desis ten yukian idon topedion metamarias tes metrosa tu. Que pesondes 
προς κύνεσαν αυτό και ανοίξαν τους θησαυρούς αυτών προς ένεκαν αυτό δώρα χρυσών και λίβανων και σμύρναν. And coming into the house they saw the child with Mary his mother. So Mary is, is given name and uh, described as his mother. And falling, uh, so here we get the kind of prostration, the kind of homage that's being paid is a, is a complete uh, kneeling down and falling. They gave homage to him uh, and opening up their treasures, their, their store treasures, their, their uh, treasure cases, whatever, They offered to him gifts. And then we have three items listed in apposition explaining what those gifts entailed. Three things in a list, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And so this proves that since they had treasures of gold and three different gifts, that there were three kings. Uh, this is the this is the evidence that Michael is completely wrong. Uh, that these are not simply magi; these are royal wow. figures, who wow. and and three of them because three gifts are specified, right. and they had right. treasures which only kings really have. Right. So this is you know part of the line of reasoning. I'm being facetious for those who are listening and think I'm being serious because I'm I'm often serious. So when I'm joke, I throw people off a little bit. Yeah, so that's that's why they think there's three of them because there's three different gifts listed, but that that doesn't follow necessarily. Yeah. Um, One and they're certainly not kings two. because they're they're called magi. And you know? we there were female magi too. We don't know that they were all males. Mm. Um, so that's also interesting to think about. Yeah, um, my wife just put uh, frankincense on a cut that I nice. got. Actually, it's a. I was uh, sanding some boards for a shelf with my orbital sander, and uh, <laughs> I nicked my thumb. And uh, it didn't really hurt, you know, but I looked down, I'm like, okay, there's red, and then I, I got to white tissue. <laughs> mm. It was kind of deep, <laughs> fascia wow. tissue. Um, but, right. yeah, she put frankincense on it. It, it, it uh, heals it up. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice. medicinal. Yeah, so we don't know that there were three of them. We don't know that they were all male, and we don't. We definitely know they weren't kings. One yeah. person could have had all three of these gifts. Uh, yeah. but, and then church history, right? We has even named these Malchus and uh, is that right? There's like two others. I don't know, but yeah, they've all been know. given names in church history. I don't believe in that kind of stuff. So, yeah. I also want to point out here too, very importantly, um, Elthonis Easton Ukion. They came to the house. This was yeah. not at a cave. Yeah. Not born at a cave. And it's not an inn. Right? This is the family house. Yukian. So it's, oh, it's very, not an very inn. Important. It's not an inn. Yeah, I was gonna ask you, you've have you seen this kind of structure? How would you describe it to people? What uh basically just uh uh lean to simple or? yeah, simple like Palestinian house where You have an upper level, and a lot of times it would be a staircase going around to the roof. They would sleep out on the roof um, at this time of year because it's cooler sometimes or during the summer. But um, 
if they were sleeping inside, the main room would have been, you would have had an upper room, um, which we read about later in, in like in the gospels where they go into the upper room and have a meal. Uh, but then you have the room downstairs and at night they would bring the animals in so they weren't stolen. And um, that's why you have a trough for a manger in there. And uh, there was, by the time they got to the family house, the, the upstairs was already full. And so they stayed downstairs. And this is why Jesus was laid in a trough for a manger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They would have never yeah. been turned away by, it would have been in a major act of shame to go to their hometown and the family to turn away a pregnant woman, one. And yeah. if they had just gone to an inn instead, it would have been a major act of shame on Mary and Joseph's behalf to not go to the family home, especially while pregnant, and instead go to an inn. Yeah. Um, and by the way, there's never been an inn found in Bethlehem archaeologically. So mm. there's all kinds of things that speak against the idea of a cave or an inn. This yeah. was a family home, and there just yeah. wasn't room in the upstairs room, so they stayed in the downstairs room where the animals were. Yeah. Simple. Yeah. yeah. That's helpful, very helpful. So how about bring us home for verse 12? Okay. All right. So verse 12, uh, it's a long word. Um, let me scroll up here. Que crematistendes cat ona me anacampse pros eroden viales odu anachoresan isten choranavton. All right. Yeah. And being warned uh, in a dream not to return to Herod. Uh, through another road, they returned to their country. Yeah, they. Uh, yeah, it's very interesting. The word "warning," crematistentes, uh, in the plural. When this word is in the plural, this verb, uh, it, it means receive an answer or warning of divine warnings and revelations. Mm-hmm. So this this can be like uh, revelatory. Uh, like oracles, as of oracles. So this is definitely not just simply a warning, but like recognizably using a word that this is a divine word. And right. we know that too, because it says in a dream, but still it's, um, you know, it's different words that could be translated warning, but this one is really talking about a, a kind of a divine uh, word, an oracle of such. So God is is uh, speaking to them. I mean, these these dudes, maybe gals included. I mean, they were they were on a quest. Um, they were inspired in some way mm-hmm. uh, to find this king and, and give him uh, homage. I mean, it's really remarkable. So God is with them. You know, God works with people who aren't with us necessarily. The gospel goes ahead to other people. Um, people have encounters with God, and so. When we go to places, we need to recognize where they're working. And so these 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 guys from the east, uh, they were walking with the Lord in some real sense, and He was using them um, to to point the way to where the King was. And they they obeyed, they followed, and they were rewarded and had this deep joy. And so God warns them not to go back to Herod, and they obeyed. They went back another way through another through another way. They went back to their land, so they they avoided the whole issue. 
you know, so they, Herod was trying to instrumentalize them, use them for his own aims and purposes, lying to them. And they're like, we're not going to take part in that. Um, and I think that's an important message to us, you know, when we we're, we're in positions to be instrumentalized yes. in a way that is not honoring to God. Um, so yes. whenever that might be. So in this case, yeah, they're like, we're, we're, we're taking no part in that. And, uh, and uh, yeah, so God warned them. Excellent. Wow. Well, good stuff. Um, hopefully it didn't explode the Christmas narrative for you uh, too bad. Um, and we, we tend to read this as if it's all like one day, right? But this is happening over probably a period of days, if not weeks or months. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. But we'll, we'll stop there. Do you got a parting shot for us? Yeah, I was looking at Hans Kuhn. Um Catholic theologian. Uh, He says, the face he, that is God, showed in Jesus is really his true and single face. Hmm. So that's the face we have to to look at. And I I guess I would say that Jesus looked intently at God's face and, and showed that face to us. And we get to look intently on Jesus's face and as like in a mirror and be transformed. Uh, And that's really the beauty of this Advent season, is we can anticipate the coming of God as King in the person of Jesus and be transformed by the wonder of it, the humility of it, the wonder of it. And and hopefully we can be joyful, like really, really joyful like the Magi were. Thanks, Michael, for your uh, guidance and leading us and the proper pronunciation and historical uh, considerations. Uh, you're uh, fortunate to have your people are fortunate to have you as a preacher teacher to guide them, and so uh, I know you give them good content. But it comes out of careful, close reading of the text. Always fun to uh, read scripture with you. I always learn a lot. Thanks, man. Same. Appreciate that. Thanks to everybody for supporting the podcast and watching and listening. Hoping it's a great Advent and Christmas season, Advent tide and Christmas tide seasons for you mm-hmm. all. Uh, may be blessed and um, we'll see you next time we hope that helps interested in growing your ancient language skills but not sure where to start Glow's House can help from illustrated readers and short stories to lexicons and grammars Glow's House offers a variety of resources for beginning, intermediate and experienced ancient language learners head to glowsahouse.com today Glow's House language resources for the global community